child of a prince, grandchild of a king, yet the uncrowned queen's song all shall sing. For the next year, a council was called to choose a man, for the king was old. Not many lords supported her cause, she was called the queen who never was. Wept to the lord of tides, the sea snake, who deemed the council a grave mistake. Both of her children untimely died, holding her son's charred body, she cried. She erupted from beneath the floors, the beast beneath the boards brought no wars. Her grandson Luke was killed by a green, she will now go to war with her queen. Says Ihon Brosi Ixos, Rhenis Targaryen, and her name is Rhenis Targaryen. This is a watch party of ice and fire. That intro was from Uzma with the help of our lady tyrant Morgan. We are your hosts, Solar. Ours is the Fury. <laughs> Uzma. Ritsus Sejorna, aka Hello and Welcome. And myself, Constance. Sam is not joining us this week since it's Thanksgiving. And this podcast. Holiday. I know, he's taking the holiday. <laughs> Uh, in our podcast this week, we'll be talking anything and everything, a world of ice and fire. In this episode, we're talking about the queen that never was, Rhaenys, and her journey through both the books and the series. Uh, so we're not going to go into anything past what you've seen in the series. Uh, so, But this is your spoiler if you haven't read the books up to the point where the show diverges. So just be aware. Uh, but also be sure to listen and play close attention as you could elevate your maester's rank and win links and prizes by listening to the podcast and answering our trivia. Before we get into the episode, we're going to start with our segment, The Love of Lore, where I'll be going over everything involving history, cultures, and customs in the world of ice and fire. Then the council will discuss lore and how it affects Rhaenys and her story. In this episode, we're going to talk about the Dragon Pit. The Dragon Pit was built by Magor the Cruel on the ruins of the Sept of Remembrance in Rhaenys' Hill in the King's Landing. Uh, this was built in 45 AC. In 42 AC, he had melted the original Sept with Balerion's flame during the Faith Militant Uprising. So basically he said, you know, to the Faith, fuck you, I'm building a dragon house on top of what was once a church. Uh, he had to import Mirish and Volante masons and use prison labor because he killed most of the masons and workers in the Red Keep to build that in 45 AC. So King's Landing was a little bit wary of Magor and not taking any job offers from him. Uh, now, the main gate of the Dragon Pit consisted of massive doors that were bronze with some iron, and as we saw in the series, they were patterned with pictures of men and dragons. They were so wide that, according to the books, 30 men could ride through them at once. There were lesser entrances with oak and iron doors, and the building's walls were thick and the roof was strong. Within the structure, long brick-lined tunnels had been dug deep into the hillside, fashioned like caves, five times as large as any of the dragon layers back on Dragonstone. Beneath the dome, there were 40 undervaults that were carved into a great ring surrounding the center pit. These man-made caves were closed off at both sides by thick iron doors to keep the dragons within. The inner doors opened on the sand of its pit itself, and the outer doors opened onto the hillside. When the living dragons were nested beneath the dome, the light would shine through the windows at night, they said. Now the dragons that were housed in the dragon pit never did grow as large as the naturally grown dragons in other areas. They say that a dragon can grow as long as it has room and food, and it had a restricted room. So the, the, the dragons that came during the era of the dragon pit weren't quite as large. 
Now, in 49, Rogar Baratheon and Alyssa Targaryen, she was the queen regent for King Jaehaerys, they were married at the half-finished dragon pit. Jaehaerys and Elisan made a huge entrance on the backs of their dragons to the presence of at least 30,000 lords, ladies, and small folk. Now, that's 30,000 before the place was even finished. Uh, at, now, at one point, about a year later, they had to stop construction on the pit because it was so expensive. It wasn't until about 51 and a half that uh, Jaehaerys and his master of coin, Rego Draz, were able to make deals with the foreign banks and start taxing imported goods so that they could have the money to finish the dragon pit. In fact, it was the dragon pit that made Jaehaerys realize that King's Landing needed sewers and infrastructure once he saw the, the construction that was ongoing. The dragon pit was completed in the middle of 55 AC. It met with a grand tourney, the finest since Ragar and Alyssa had been married, and it was hosted by the Lord of Redwine. Sir Lucamore Strong, the victor, was became awarded a white cloak and joined the Kingsguard. So there's the first mention we have of the Strongs being a family of noble virtue. Now, when Balerion returned to Westeros in 56 AC, I advise you to look up that story if you want to get some really weird, weird, creepy stuff going on there. Um, Jaehaerys had the dragon confined to the dragon pit, and he ordered the first 77 dragon keepers that we saw in the series in their traditional Valerian robes, speaking High Valerian. They're the ones that guarded the dragons and helped train them. Uh, Jaehaerys and Nelson both kept Vermithor and Silverwing at the Red Keep. They were never housed in the, in the dragon pit. Now, shortly after his knighting in 72 AC, Aemon Targaryen claimed Caraxes for himself, who was considered the fiercest of the dragons there, and Balon the Brave, his brother, claimed Vagar a year later, who had been unridden for 29 years since Visenya herself died. In 75, Princess Alyssa went to the dragon pit and chose Melis as her mount, which, again, we'll see, we'll see Melis coming up in our later discussion. The dragon keepers had to talk her out of choosing Valerian because he was so old and so slow at that time. Princess Sarah Trigarian tried to sneak into the dragon pit in 84, dressed as a washerwoman after she escaped the Red Keep, but the dragon keepers caught her and sent her home. And then in 93 AC, Viserys claimed Valerian from the dragon pit for himself, took him for a flight around King's Landing, then brought him home because the dragon was old, slow, fat, and tired. Jaehaerys I was cremated in the dragon pit in 103 AC, uh, much like uh, Aegon the Conqueror was. Aegon II, now we're getting into the modern timeline, or at least the modern timeline in House of the Dragon. Aegon II was crowned in 219 after conquest. According to Grand Maester Bunkin, more than 100,000 small folk were crammed into the building. And Mushroom says that the benches were only half filled. So we could trust Mushroom because he's the number one reliable source for all things Westerosi. As we saw in the series, the people of King's Landing were herded into the dragon pit to f bear witness to Aegon's coronation. And this is what led to the death of hundreds of thousands, uh, or at least thousands of small folk when Elise bursts out of the floor. Now that doesn't happen in the books. Uh, the dragon pit does get wrecked in the future, which is why we see it in Game of Thrones as a ruin in King's Landing. Uh, during the spring sickness, actually I got that wrong, that's in 119 that Aegon became the king, but in 209, Darian Targaryen and most of his heirs died in the Great Spring Sickness. The plague was so bad that they had no place to bury the bodies, so they just piled them up in the dragon pit 
And then when the corpses were 10 feet deep, they had pyromancers throw wildfire on them and burn the bodies. This burnt down about a quarter of the city because that was just an intelligent plan. Uh, Agarian, King uh, Eris II, also known as the Mad King, had stored additional wildfire under the dragon pit as part of his plot to blow up the city should Robert Baratheon take it. Additional wildfire was stored under the Sept Baelor, which, as we saw in the show, Cersei uses to blow that shit up. Uh, the summit of the major monarchs of Westeros was held at the ruins of the Dragon Pit, uh, where they discussed the future of the kingdom after Daenerys and the war. And the Great Council of 305 is held there, and it's decided that future councils will be held there, and that is where they crown Bran King of Westeros. So the Dragon Pit is a long and storied history, uh, and it will be something that we'll get to see more of in the stories to come in the Dance of the Dragons. So that is for love of lore. And I'm going to hand this over to Solar for portrait of a character. You know, before I get to that, I, I definitely want to say the destruction of the dragon pits was really, really sad. Like building of the yeah. dragon pits was, again, a great conqueror's move, you know? It's like, I don't care what you worship. This is your God now. This, this right here. Dragons. These dragons. These are yeah. your gods. You know? So, yeah. And I'm just like, ah, oh, it broke. But to everything, turn, turn, turn. <laughs> Copyright strike and turn, turn. No. <laughs> so, I am Solar Gray, the cinematic sorcerer, and welcome to Portrait of a Character. Insert heart music here. No, anyway. <laughs> and today, we are going to talk about the Baus of the Seven Kingdoms. Okay, The queen that never was. The granddaughter to the... To, uh, what was it? He wasn't the great emancipator. He was like the great conciliator. The conciliator. Yes, the yeah. granddaughter to the great conciliator. Um, the true heir and the purveyor of a more better future in my headcanon. Um, <laughs> Y'all know her. Well, I know her as Princess Nisi. Y'all know her as Rainey's Targaryen. Now, <clears throat> yeah, that's right. Applause. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Y'all ready for this? Da -da -da -dun 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 All right. Anyway, <laughs> so um, Princess Rainey's or, you know, uh, Nisi the Boss was born in 74 AC at Dragonstone uh, to Prince Aemon Targaryen and his lady wife Jocelyn Baratheon. That's right. The once and future bloodlines of the Iron Thrones gave birth to this woman. Okay. Um, eldest daughter of Aemon Targaryen and don't worry, We'll get to why that's important later. Um, she grew up on Dragonstone, a princess, smart, excuse me, capable, clever, even wily, some would say. Um, by 87 at 13, okay, 87 AC, at 13 years old, she became a dragon rider, um, bonding with Maylees the Dragon. You know, did it live by the sea? Yes, because they were on Dragonstone. Um, by 1980, or sorry, by 89, <laughs> I'm like 1989. No, no, not when I was a kid. But by 89, 
Um, she was a full-fledged dragon rider and rode her dragon from Dragonstone to Highgarden to meet up with her granddad, King Jaehaerys, to ride all the way to the Shield Islands just to explore and for the great conciliator to go, hey, what's up? I'm still here. I'm the king and I can pop in on you at any time. And there's my granddaughter. She's like, what's up? Um, and then when they got to the island of Greenshield, she talked to her grandfather about her intentions on marrying Corliss Valerian, um, the leader of the, the Targaryen fleets and <laughs> um, one, um, the head of the house of the other Valerian bloodline. And of course, good old Jaehaerys was like, you know what? That's a good match. Let's do this. Yeah. Um, so by, I believe it was late, no, early, uh, yeah, late and 90 AC, um, she married Corliss Valerian and like the boss that she is arrived to her wedding on Dragonback. She's like, oh yeah, now who's going to give me away? <laughs> Not my dad. It's my dragon, except my dragon's coming with me, you know, and I got to say, I love that idea i'm like why does i i kind of took it as a given that every targaryen shows up to their wedding on dragonback but no like rainey's was very much the one that was like look i got a dragon and everybody's gonna see this just in case you forget who i am i got dragons and my husband's got boats what that'll be important later uh what are you guys thinking so far <laughs> she's like, a badass she's badass <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, that's <laughs> what I'm her. saying. You, you know, um, now. In, oh, you, you did or, leave out one of her titles. Um, Master of the Side Eye. That's right. Yeah. Master of the Side Eye. <laughs> the progenitor to the Queen of Thorns. She uh -huh. is the mistress of shade. <laughs> you know, the, the master of side eye, the, the bouse. That's what she is. Spelled B-A-W-S-S-S-S. Bouse. Um, <laughs> however, not everything was badass pageantry and flexing from Princess Rainey's. Um, politically savvy, like one wouldn't believe, but, um, and this is really important, um, in early 92, her father, um, Prince Eamon, died. And the question about succession was first brought up. And that was when she was passed over for her uncle, Balon. Because one, she was a woman, and two, she was pregnant with her firstborn daughter. So this was the beginning of the queen that never was, because as much as we love the great conciliator, he had a hard time holding on to heirs. Almost like, hey, I'm going to name a guy to take over my kingdom. And every time he did, they died. Funny that. Where I come from, we would say God's trying to tell you something. But, you know, <laughs> I guess some people don't listen, no matter how good of a king they are. Um, the curse of being Jairus is here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, so she was passed over because she was a woman. Strike one. Um, and after grieving her father, um, a few months later, her first daughter was born. Princess, or super princess, I'll just call her that. Uh, Lena um, 
Lena Valerian. You guys know her as the one, um, one of one of Prince, one of Prince Damon's many wives, and the writer of one of the coolest dragons that there are. The one of the only dragons besides Valerian the Black Dread, who was still alive at this point, who was there for the conquest. But that's another story for another day. Um, and so she was passed over. And when she was passed over, this pissed off a lot of people <laughs> because um, this was the beginning of, I guess you can say, the idea of egalitarianism within the realms of Westeros. Because when she was passed up, being the oldest child of the heir that was living, um, a lot of people weren't happy, specifically um, Borman Baratheon, her mother, Jocelyn Baratheon, gee, wonder why, Ellard Stark, foreshadowing for the future, um, and of course, Queen Alysanne Targaryen. <laughs> Um, Jaehaerys the Great Conciliator had to go home to a very angry wife saying, so you passed her up. Why? <laughs> you know. Um, but a fuss was not made. In 94, she gave birth to her first son, Lenor, um, who will have an interesting and storied future, but that is for another time. So one, two, skip a few. We get all the way to the Council of 101. <laughs> um... Oh, and by the way, this really pissed off her husband, Corliss, who, in very much a Corliss um, Valerian fashion, um, quit his job and said, I'm taking my ships and I'm going home. And, you know, somebody had to talk him down from all that. But he did give up his post as Lord Admiral of <clears throat> um, of the Targaryen or the Westerosi Navy and gave up his seat on the small council. Um, so if you guys were wondering, excuse me, um, why he was so quick and eager to walk out of small council movie, uh, small council meetings on the show, there was a history of that. <laughs> so, um, so then we go forward to the Great Council of 101 at everyone's favorite melted castle, Harrenhal, where the great lords get together and they're like, all right, fine. If we get to vote on who's going to be the heir, we're going to vote, blah, blah, blah. Now, in this time, of course, since it is a vote, if we learned nothing from this show about politics, it's all about who you can rally behind you. And, um... Princess Nisi and not quite Prince Corliss <laughs> gathered support from the houses of Dustin, Blackwood, um, Emmon, Keltigar still had support from House Stark. Sort of. Okay? Because after Princess Rainey's was passed over in 92, um, the other houses essentially said, we won't support um, Rainey's. Uh, but we will support Lenor as her firstborn son. So how's that? And this was the talk that was being had between House Dustin, Blackwood, um, Emmon, and House Keltigar. Um, as we know, the Starks um, and the Baratheons were kind of still in her corner. Unfortunately, 
much like King Lear, um, <laughs> King Jaehaerys chose the wrong child. Um, given um, giving the kingdom to um, who we now know as King Viserys, the firstborn son of the heir that he chose before, <laughs> again, um, before Balon died, um, since she was passed over for her uncle and then he died, the great council was brought about. And again, he died too. Because, you know, um, if King Jaehaerys the first of his name, the king of the seven kingdoms and the Rhinor and protector of the realm, the holder of the cheese and the bringer of many wheelbarrows, picks a male heir, they are not long for this world, except for one time. Okay, And of course, this was that one time where he picks um, um, the character that we now know as... King Viserys, the first of his name. Um, <clears throat> this is where the show starts. <laughs> and the small folk have named her the queen that never was. But the houses that support her, specifically Stark um, and Baratheon, still have her back. <laughs> And kind of like, hey, can we get some of the small folk support for all this? And of course, Corliss Vendelarian is like, you know, my wife should be in your seat. Er, I'm going to take my ships and go home. And she's like, honey, chill. <laughs> honey, chill. All right. I've accepted this. You need to accept this. Chill. All right. We still good. We're the riches. We've got, um, we've got the Navy. You're on the small council. And I love my children. Chill. All right. Um, unfortunately, the chilling did not happen. Now, as we know in the show, um, she loses all of her children by year 120 AC. This was Lana um, with one of the big deviations from the books to the show. Lana technically dies in childbirth in the show, not from childbirth, but <laughs> in childbirth. And of course, her son Lenor, having now been married to Princess um, Rhaenyra, um, in a scene that we'll be talking about a little later, um, um, presumably dies um, in a marketplace. Now, if you guys have watched the show, you've seen that um, there's a little bit of a deviation from the book there. But yeah, it... Um, God, where was it? Where was it? Hang on, looking through my notes. <laughs> looking through my notes here. Um, Lenore yeah. died at fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, In Spice Town. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So sure enough. Um, so sure enough. Um, this was a woman that had been passed over for power, although clever, strong wonderful flair for presentation um and then eventually loses her father her children her position as her rightful position as the queen um but keeps her dragon so that's pretty awesome um where we leave off in the show is the beginning of the dance of dragons in year 129 after corliss 
was gone for another six years because he was injured in the wars on um, the wars of the Stepstones. So here she is running her. She gets to run her barony by herself, not knowing if her husband is going back while her children dies. And what does she do? That's not important. What she doesn't do is start a rebellion and go buck wild on people. So this is where we're going to leave off with the portrait of the character because everything else is spoilers and we have another season to get through. (laughs) So I want to know what you guys think um, about uh, Princess Nisi, the queen that never was, you know, um, the lady of shade, (laughs) the master of side eye. And um, how can I put this? The character who only has one move that people didn't appreciate, which was not in the book, but it looked great on film, and that was not ending <laughs> the Dance of Dragons when it started. <laughs> um, so leave your guys' comments um, in the little thing down there if you're watching this on YouTube and leave a message on the social media. Y'all know how it is. But before y'all do that, I want to know what the rest of our panel thinks about Princess Nisi. I'm going to start with you, Uzma. <laughs> I loved her show version more than the books because in the books, we are not sure how she felt about the whole coronation thing, whether she wanted the crown or not. But in the show, it's pretty specified. She tells Corliss specifically that she is over it, that she has accepted the fact that she doesn't want the power. And she even talks about not marrying Lenore with Rhaenyra because she thought that her children will might get in danger and uh, that's why she uh, like she was worried about her kids and uh, her family came for her first and power and everything she didn't care about that but Corliss did and uh, even Corliss admits that mistake that you were right and I loved how she handled everything when Corliss was presumably dead Uh, like she uh, everyone thought he will die and uh, there were grabs for power made by Waymond Valarian and she was going to speak for herself at first but she uh, considered Rhaenyra's options and yes Viserys uh, coming uh, to the throne room affected her choice but I loved how she stood by Rhaenyra instead of Waymond and it showed how badass she was she was not afraid of anyone she was not afraid of Waymond at all Uh, what do you think um, Constance? Yeah, well, sorry. Go before ahead. Constance comes in, I, I definitely want to address that part. Um, the fact that she was going to go for herself and the writers of the show gave her a, a great mindset because when she went to Corliss, she was like, everybody's going for the throne, but the only person that's acting like an actual queen is Rhaenyra. Everybody's talking war, even Damon. Well, duh, Damon's talking war. Damon. But she's the only one that's showing restraint and trying to do what's best. So you best back her. I, I, I yeah, I, I really did like that. Constance, what are your thoughts? <laughs> I, I love the character that we see in the books. And I love the character that we see at the show for completely different reasons. In the books, we don't get, like, like Uzumo was saying, we don't get any of her motivation. All we know is that she's continually passed over. But... She's a free spirit. She loves exploring. She's adventurous. She's intelligent. And 
then she just kind of becomes a wife and a mother, right? We lose who she is in the books because yeah. she just becomes a side, a side note to Corliss as his wife. But what they've done with her in this series is brilliant because you, this one keeps saying that she's made peace with it, but you could tell she hasn't. She's <laughs> so much bitterness. She's so world weary and over it. She's not made peace with it. She's come to terms with it. There's a difference, right? You know, I will say, um, I definitely, definitely noticed that. Um, and <laughs> shouts out to the actress who played her. I don't have her up on my own. Um, Eve Best. Eve Best. Yeah, Eve Best. Oh, yeah. man. She was the best. Because yeah. you know what? You're absolutely right when she's like, I've made peace with it. No, I've made peace <laughs> with it. I've made shut up with my peace. <laughs> Yeah. You know, in that sense of, you know, we all know you're lying. Yeah, but I'll believe it one day. <laughs> you know. Yeah, she's she's the one she would have made a great queen because she <laughs> understands politics. She understands what needs to be done for yeah. the good of Westeros, which none of the other characters have really demonstrated with the exception of maybe Rhaenyra. Right? <laughs> Which is why she and, back and, and Lady Rhaenyra. Misery. And, and Lady yeah, Misery. And, yeah. You know, Misery's yeah. like stop the child slavery pit fighting. That's I a good, mean, granted, good that's kind of basic when it comes to what's best for a kingdom. <laughs> yeah. But okay, uh, at least you cut it up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll admit maybe she hasn't uh, made peace with it with it. Uh, because uh, the one thing I noticed in the last episode was everyone uh, bent the knee to Rhaenyra. Uh, Except Rhaenys. And even after she convinced Corliss to uh, accept, uh, to support her, and uh, Corliss and everyone in the room, uh, in the painted table room, uh, bowed to her, even then Rhaenys did not bow to Rhaenyra. Like, nah. <laughs> nah, she She's, stood up straight while Damon leaned. I mean, yeah. that, that was. In the, in the Matt Smith fashion. Yeah. <laughs> Leaning on things. Yeah, she, she's, she's acknowledged, she's like, I'm. That's because she's not acknowledging Rhaenyra as her sovereign. She's acknowledging Rhaenyra as an equal. Yeah. And I also wanted to uh, ask you guys, uh, what do you guys think about her, the smug look she had every time Rhaenyra restrained Daemon? Like every time uh, Rhaenyra told Daemon something uh, to not do, and uh, the look, uh, you can see how she smiled and she looked really happy. <laughs> what was that about? <laughs> uh, that was... Emmy caliber acting is what that was because, <laughs> you know, I mean, everything about Eve Best's performance was one of the best in that because she had a whole lot of everything on her face showed all of her subtext to the audience. Yeah. The smug smiles, the hmm. It reminded me very much of the janitor and in, in the breakfast club when he talked about knowing what's in everyone's locker. <laughs> And um, Jed Nelson looked at him like, all right, I see you. I see you. And that's what she was doing that whole time. Like, I'm not giving mm -hmm. my allegiance yet. Let's see how you handle this. Oh, Maybe she is okay. still mad at Damon because she thinks Damon killed Lenor. Probably. She's also would... probably mad at Damon for raising armies to support Viserys. Yeah, during the I would. Council. I, I would date. I would bet dollars to donuts of all that. Yeah. But before we go on too long, that is our time. So this has been Solar Gray, the cinematic sorcerer for Portrait of a Character.
Hello everyone, my name is Jordan Rennells, and with my friend Katie, we are both working to create and share art for all of our favorite fandoms at 4Cats Boutique on Etsy. We have bookmarks, so many stickers, earrings, prints of all sizes, super small, and all the way up to 24 by 30 inches to really show off all of your favorite characters. We have coloring books, keychains, and always more on the way. So if you want a Hobbit Hole bookmark, or a set of Legend of Zelda Korok earrings, stickers for all of your favorite Marvel characters, or a big wall art poster of the Night's Watch Vows words so that you can recite them every time you need to pump yourself up, head over to 4Cats Boutique on Etsy. That's the number four and cats with a K. You can even use the code WATCHPARTY10 to get a 10% discount. That's 4Cats Boutique on Etsy. All right. Thank you, Solar. Uh, so now we're going to go with Fire and Blood, which is where the three of us are going to discuss uh, questions about Princess Rainey's and go into a little more detail about our discussion. We had a great, some great converse there, but we're going to, Uzma's got her <laughs> questions for us. So Uzma, let's go. What do you got? Okay. So as usual, the first question is, name one thing that you liked and one that you wished were kept from the books uh, about Rainey's. Uh, let's start with you, uh, Sola. Um, one thing I wish they'd kept from the books, or um, that they would include it in the show from the books, was a little more conversation from House Baratheon and House Stark about her. All we got was one passing line um, from, God, who was it? I think it was um, Borman Baratheon. Hmm? Borman. Yeah, her yeah. uncle Borman. Um, in the first act of episode one <laughs> going, Hey, I still see you and I still got your back in one line being, or, you know, the scene where Borman asks for her favor and calls her the queen that never was. And that's it, you know? And I, I really like, yeah, I, I wish there would have been at least a little more discussion about, um, if from no one else, the Corliss character about how they had support from House Baratheon and House Stark, you know, that that's what uh, I'm glad they uh, I wish they would have brought in. Uh, what I'm glad they left out was um, her father's death. Didn't need to know anything about Eamon, <laughs> you know, I didn't really need to know that. Um I mean, I kind of wish they left a piece of it in to show the succession thing um, before we got the Great Council, but that wasn't intricate enough from the for, um, to the story, so I'm fine with them leaving that out. What about you, Constance? Uh, I'm, I'm kind of leaning with Solar. I wish they had done more with the politics before the Great Council, but that would not be interesting to the majority of the fans. It is to us nerds that are like lore obsessed with details and <laughs> politics. Uh, I, I wish she had, they had shown her standing up for herself and for her claim. Because yeah. we start with her kind of being resigned that she's not going to be queen. But it, it, there was a lot of passion there from her arguments about the babe in the belly. Before she knew Lena was a girl, she's like, well, if I have a son, that's the son of the, the grandson of the, of the first heir, he should be king by right of bloodline. Mm. Uh, and so that was her argument. And then, of course, it turned out to be a girl. So that probably would have invalidated her, her claim anyways, because, you know, the Westerosi are all misogynist. 
Uh, but um, so the thing that I'm glad they left out, really nothing. I mean, they didn't really leave too much out of the of the TV series yeah. that we saw in the books. Pretty much, it's all there. Uh, it, it, there's really nothing that they they changed about her character, with the exception mm. of. The stuff that happens on Dragonstone after she escapes King's Landing. Because none of that's in the books. That's all stuff yeah. they added for the show, which was great. That was really yeah. good character depth. But none of that was George's original writing. So <laughs> um, I know what part that I want them to leave out, but that's spoilers. Uzma, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so what, what are your thoughts on it? The change I liked was uh, Rhaenys breaking out uh, uh, and escaping King's Landing uh, on Melis because uh, that was not in uh, in the books. Uh, and uh, Rhaenyra just breaking out in the dragon pit while the Aegon's coronation is going mm-hmm. on. It was pretty badass. And I really loved that. <laughs> I, I want to so, shout out to the costumers because her armor is yeah. fucking gorgeous in that scene. Oh my God, yeah. So amazing. <laughs> and the change I wish they had kept from the book, uh, they had kept in uh, from the books was uh, the fact that everyone uh, considered Rhaenys as uh, queen because uh, the moment uh, Alicene was uh, presented with Rhaenys, she called Rhaenys our queen to be. Uh, her uncle, uh, uh, what was Borman Baratheon, Jocelyn mm-hmm. Baratheon, etc. They were all uh, pretty. They all pretty much considered her to be the next queen. Uh, but uh, they were all pretty mad when uh, Boros, uh, like they, when uh, Balon was chosen over her. So I wish kind of that was shown to us because in the show it just looked like she was uh, another girl. It was just a choice between a girl and a. Uh, Man, yeah. it kind of felt like that. Uh, and uh, if this was shown, it would have shown that uh, at least half the people considered her to be a queen. And that's why there was a lot of people in her support as well. So I wish that was <laughs> in the uh, show as well. Although uh, it might ha- not have uh, affected things very much, but it would have shown that not all of them were, uh, you know, Mm-hmm. misogynist and uh, another thing uh, because uh, Lord Bormont was in support of uh, the black, uh, like Rainis, it would have uh, given them uh, Rhaenyra's choice a justification like uh, a lot of people were saying she shouldn't have uh, sent Luke alone to uh, Bormont to uh, Storm's end uh, when uh, Luke was killed it was Rhaenyra's fault and no it wasn't because Bormund Baratheon was uh, in support of Rhaenys and everyone assumed because of that that her that his son Boros Baratheon will also support Rhaenyra and uh, it was practically considered to be family mm-hmm. and yeah so it was not Rhaenyra's fault <laughs> no <laughs> No one would have uh, imagined in their dreams that Amon would be there and that Boros would support the Greens instead of the Blacks. Anyway, moving on to the next question. Name one action of Rhaenys that you liked and one that you didn't like in season one. Uh, Let's start with you, Constance. I'm going to go with the universal choice of not yelling Dracarys during the coronation. (laughs) 
<laughs> did not like that. But that would be a major <laughs> departure from the books. That's that's an alternate universe to be written right there. Um, what I did like uh, was when she uh, when she was counseling Rhaenyra on what to expect, like the realm yeah. for, about being a woman in power. Men would sooner put that realm to the torch torch than see a woman sit the Iron Throne. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that those were some really dramatic sequences of, like I said, someone who's so through, over and through it, but it still eats away at her. And you could see that and you could hear that. And I think it was just beautiful acting on Eve Best's part to convey all of that without a ton of dialogue or a ton of exposition and backstory. You just picked it up from her, from her every, the way she sat, the way she spoke, the way she moved, everything just said, I'm bitter, but I'm trying to work through it. And that was really cool. Um, Solar, you're, you're two. <clears throat> okay. So it would be easy for me to say that both the things I liked and didn't like were the same scene <laughs> because everybody <laughs> feels that way. Yeah. Um, however, um, what I will say is that the thing that I didn't like was, um, one, um, was particularly her delivery of that point to young, um, to young Princess Rhaenyra. You know, um, I didn't like that she was playing the game while having the discussion. You know, um, it should have been like one of those private conversations with real talk like Alison Hightower did to her later. Um, you know, I mean, I could easily say I didn't like that she left the Hightowers alive because... Had it been me, I would have burned them to a crisp just for locking me in my room. I ain't gonna lie. I'd be like, what? I did. Do you know who I am? You know. Um, however, one of the things, I, I don't have a singular thing that I like. What I will say is, other than the counts, like that one part of men will see this place burn to the ground before they let a woman rule. Other than essentially that line, I loved all of her counsel to everyone. Um, like, I hated that line, but it was redeemed for me when she looks at Renera and says, and your father is no fool. The, I don't like that we're talking about marrying my prepubescent daughter to your dad, but I get it. <laughs> and your father's not an idiot. And I think she was the only person in the show other then um, I think it's Larry Strong, the good Strong, um, to actually have that thought process and say it out loud, you know, because everybody's talking talking shit on King Viserys most of the show, and she's the only one that said, you know, he's no fool, you know. Um, but I think my favorite moment of hers was her conversation with Corliss when it's like, look, just admit your son's gay. Everybody knows it, all right? <laughs> so, you know, let's work from that being a common thing and let's plan our moves from there. I'm like, thank you. 
you know <laughs> thank you man you know that that's where i sat with it yeah so yeah that's my my favorite and least favorite moments you know what you said it kind of reminded me of Tyrion and John like Tyrion was the only one only person who told John the truth about the night's watch <laughs> Mm-hmm. Kind of, and Rhaenys was the only person who told Rhaenyra the truth that even though you are named heir, uh, no one will, <laughs> no one considers you like an authority. And that we were shown that when uh, she suggested something, and everyone in the small council just laughed it out off. <laughs> didn't oh. they? Didn't even consider her su- suggestion uh, seriously. <laughs> and we also saw that with the small folk during the Mummers play. Where mm-hmm. the mummers were a hundred percent behind Aegon because he had a dick. <laughs> it's like the small folk didn't support her either because they didn't see her as qualified because she was a woman. Yeah, and Rainis was the only one to tell her the truth. Okay, as for me, I, I kind of like Solar. I wanted to say uh, the scene that I liked and disliked were the same, but I'm going to change it because. Uh, yeah <laughs> it's an easy answer it's too easy yeah <laughs> so uh, i'm going to uh, go with uh, rainis uh, convincing corlys to support rainira because uh, in the end eventually corlys uh, gives up his uh, lust for power he finally says yes family comes for first and i'll put my family first but at that time rain uh, rainis convinces him to support rainira saying that uh, that girl is the only woman uh, like is the only person showing restraint and is showing like she is the only one care who cares about the small ki- uh, the seven kingdoms and con- convinces corlys to support her so i really loved that scene and as for uh, one of her actions that I disliked, once again, uh, her escaping from the dragon pit because uh, she had to kill. Uh, I loved how it was shown and how she escaped. But uh, the fact that she had to kill thousands of small folks to do that, that did kind of, I didn't like that part. Like if she could have escaped without killing innocent people, that would have been even more badass. <laughs> <laughs> There. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and the fact that they, she didn't even show any regrets regarding it. <laughs> <laughs> that that's a fair point actually. Yeah. <laughs> As okay, so the last question, pick one character from Game of Thrones or House of the Dragon who you think is a lot like uh, Rhaenys. Mainly Game of Thrones. One character from Game of Thrones. Uh, Solar? Man, that's hard. That's <laughs> really hard. Because, real talk, I see her as a mashup between Arya Stark and Tyrion. <laughs> um, or, um, but I suppose if I had to pick one, and one alone, I don't want to yeah. hear it, Tyrant. I live on a different <laughs> island. Um, I would say Olena, um, uh, uh, Olena um, Tyrell. You stole my answer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I see, uh, again, I see her as the progenitor <laughs> to the Queen of Thorns. She is the Lady of Shade. <laughs> um, 
because she sees everything and her tongue is made from Targaryen fire. Um, and I say that to say that she can't hold it. <laughs> there is no tongue holding in this woman. So, yeah, that, that's where I'm at. Sorry. <laughs> Constance? Um, gosh, that is hard. Um, she makes me think of someone just in general some of the older Dornish you know like mm. Queen Nymeria mm. where she's a woman that knows what she's doing she's competent she's powerful she has a partner not just yeah. a husband uh, like in Nymeria and uh, Moors were very much partners in building something together in the in Dorne and they were very much sharing the power. I think that's kind of the relationship between Corliss and uh Rainies is that they Weren't share they the ones that killed the first Rainies. <laughs> yeah, I think so. No, that was Maria. Maria was the oh. one that killed that one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm looking I'm looking at the Dornish ancestry page right now. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> so that's why I want to say Nymeria. Her ancestors killed. <laughs> yeah. Rhaenys and Miraxus. Yeah. But they were the only ones who were able to kill a dragon. So that's pretty oh, badass. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And we may eventually do an entire show on House Dorn. Ooh, I look yeah. forward to that day. That, that'll be a fun one. Yeah. Uh, that's, House that's Montel my take. of Dorn. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Uzma, who do you think other than the Queen of Thorns? <laughs> I, no, I don't say other than. Like... I want to know your reasoning. <laughs> <laughs> Olena uh, Tyrell, uh, because uh, she is smart, she, you can see the wisdom behind her actions. And that's what I saw in uh, House of the Dragon. Uh, that's what uh, her actions, her way of thinking, it kind of lined up with... Um, what Rhaenys did. It's like Lady Olena said, if you are a dragon, be a dragon. Just imagine if Olena, Olena was a, you know, Targaryen. If Olena had a dragon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if she had a dragon. I, I can see her mostly like Rhaenys Targaryen. If she was a Targaryen, if she had a dragon, she would have been more like Rhaenys. And, uh, but besides that, uh, there were two characters I was considering, uh, Sansa and Dani. Uh, she was a mix of, of both. <laughs> but since uh, I ha only have to choose one character, I'll go with Olena. <laughs> because she doesn't have the immaturity of Dani that yeah. Dani has or in inexperience. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, I thought Lena Valerian was a, little, a lot more like Daenerys. Yeah. Then Rainy, then Rainy's Targ Valerian. <laughs> so Honestly, easy yeah, to she, get confused. She, she really should have had a dash in her name. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Do I have a crush? Shut up. All right. So. Okay, so that's all for Fire and Blood. Back to you, Constant. Next, we have our Raven's Eye segment, where Solar is going to be talking about the cinematography and directorial choices that were made and how they affected the, in this case, the wedding of uh, Rhaenyra and Lenor. Is that correct? That is correct. All right. Over to you, Solar. 
And hello everyone, I'm Solar Gray, the Cinematic Sorcerer, and welcome to the Raven's Eye. Yes, today we are going to be talking about some cinematic choices and the cinematic language of a scene from one of the episodes of, um, of this season that we didn't cover while the show was happening week to week. Now, in our sixth episode, I wanted to cover this one. But there was other stuff that was happening, and we covered the prelude to this. So if you guys are interested in that, yeah, just head on back and, and check out um, episode six there. That, that, you know, episode five or six, you know. Um, however, um, I wanted to talk about a long tradition in Westeros and an even longer tradition in the media of Westeros. And we are talking about awesome weddings. <laughs> um, so today we are covering the brown wedding. Because let's face it, it's been almost eight years and we're still talking about the red wedding. No one cares about the purple wedding except for the way that it came out. But the brown wedding I found very interesting. And this was the wedding between um, Princess Ray Ray <laughs> and... Sort of, but not really Prince Lenore, okay? The ultimate marriage of convenience. So, <laughs> our scene starts here um, with the opening showing where the party went wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and we pan up to see the actual wedding. Now, if we take a good look here, just a really close look, we have... King Viserys, Queen Alicent, uh, Corliss Valerian, um, Princess Ray Ray, the Lady of Shade, <laughs> um, and of course, the Bride, the Groom, and the Septon. Okay? And this is very important because, well, the party kind of went sideways, so they're like, let's get this out of the way right now. And as we left off with the party, we have a lot of cross-cutting with this scene. So as we have the shotgun wedding in a realm with no shotguns, we have the dude that ruined the party doing his walk of shame to the heart tree at, um, at the Red Keep. Now, when we look at this scene from far away in the Great Hall, what we have is the distance between us and the ceremony that's juxtaposed with the distance between the two families, if we take a really good look. We don't have the, the normal C formation that you would see at a wedding. Everyone is on their side. And if you look to the bottom right of the screen, you notice that King Viserys is sandwiched by House Hightower. This is important. <laughs> We've got Alicent, Queen, um, King Viserys, and right behind him, Otto, fuck that guy, Hightower, mm -hmm. um, keeping him distant from the rest of his actual bloodline. And speaking of blood, we've got, I wish I was, Lan sir, I wish I was Lancelot Bitter, going, oh, I've dishonored myself, I'm gonna kill me, that's what I'm gonna do, I'm so sad. And... We have what would be our blushing bride, 
within our ceremony mm. with very somber looks on her face with, by the way, the same hairstyle as Lena Headley um, in Game of Thrones season one, episode one. Don't think I didn't see that. <laughs> uh, um, and of course, we have the, yes, I kiss you on the cheek. Now, this is important because it is made very clear within the narrative that Prince Lenor is a very happy fellow in the sense that he is gay. He's very, very gay. And they're showing this with them not even kissing on the lips. Okay, this is very much an arranged marriage for convenience, and we are still kept at a distance. As we cut, we go to the not-quite-seppuku ceremony <laughs> of the dude that screwed himself when he screwed the princess and her. Um, I forgot the name of the actress, but you can very much tell that she has her character thinking of someone else. And of course, um, the shooting of this gives the impression of it all happens at the same time. However, this is very much a the wedding happened and then um, um, Sir Bitter of used to be Bay um, went to the heart tree to kill himself. And this is where the alliance with Queen Hightower Valerian or Targaryen um, happens. And in this scene, you can see Rhaenyra loses everything, and we made a joke before the show, which is, it's the only wedding in the series that no one dies. You're right, but someone almost does. <laughs> because at that moment, King Viserys dies of his leprosy, and we get our favorite extras, the rats. <laughs> eating away at the blood of um, the blood that's on the ground from the house and, of course, um, symbolizing the blood that's being um, eaten by the rats of um, House Hightower against um, King Varys. So, um, with this wedding... Boom, there we go. Okay, we're back. And <clears throat> with this wedding, there is very much a huge sense of dirty melancholy. Everyone is sad. This is not a happy wedding. Um, if we take a look, yeah, if we take a look at the wedding itself, um, what we have is a sad dinner spread. Oh, where's my mouse? Oh, there's my mouse. Yeah, what we have is a sad dinner spread um, mixed with a sad night, mixed with sad um, bride and groom, um, a sad wedding party, and a sadly confused priest. You know, all happening in front of the heart tree, letting our boy Blood Raven know exactly what. Oh, no, wait, he's not there yet. But letting the children of the forest know everything that's there. So what do you guys think about, say, the color grading, um, the dreariness, the 
I, I, I'm calling it the Brown Wedding because it's a dirty wedding in a dirty hall after a really dirty night. It's just, it's just brown. It's brown and sad like a KFC famous bowl the entire time. But what do you guys think? I want to start with you, Constance. <laughs> I'm just reminded of a Patton Oswalt joke at that. Um, <laughs> a failure pile in a sadness bowl. As <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I would agree that the brown not only encompasses the, the dirt, but the filters. Okay, yeah. Because everything, with the exception of the blue filter over the out, the exterior shot, everything inside is very dark and dingy and not gray, but a little more gold brown, brown and goldish. Because mm-hmm. you've got the gold accents from the light on the candles that are still burning. You've got the gold accents on the clothing that they're wearing. Um, you've got the gold from Viserys' mask. So golden brown is kind of the color that I associate with that. That's uh, fair. And like so that's a blue white filter on on a Sir Satif Bay, um, <laughs> but I think not that... to be confused with Salt of Bay. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> that's actually delicious tasting and not very bitter. Uh, <laughs> um, but basically, I think that it kind of just shows how things how fall how far everyone had fallen emotionally from where they were at the beginning of that scene where you've got the baller move of the Valarians coming in, rolling in with their whole posse. Uh, as we said that there, there needs to be a soundtrack underscoring that scene because that's just such a great, a great entrance and the, there's so much love and joy and festivities and flirting. And then Joffrey Monmouth gets it in the head. And yeah. <laughs> and then it's just this brutal. Sh- it's so very brutal and shocking what happens and so the rest of it is just tainted by that moment and i think they did a really good job of showing that shock and sorrow for everybody not just lenor who lost his lover and his best friend but everybody just dealing with the aftermath of how do we keep moving forward after something like that interrupted such an important occasion so Uh, true yeah uh, but you can see here, like, you can see he's got his clothing is gold. You've got the gold from the firelight. Uh, I just think that the, the, the gold is an interesting contrast to the darkness. Uh, and maybe, maybe just they're kind of hinting that there is something good coming out of this. The marriage of convenience means that both of them can try to find some happiness within that union. Maybe I'm just stretching at that symbolism. I don't know. But uh, Uzma, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah. What I noticed was the contrast uh, between the earlier merriment, the joy, everything is bright, everything is so colorful, and everyone is dancing and singing, and hap- the happiness. Uh, and after uh, the death of Geoffrey Lawnmouth, uh, everything, uh, this wedding now that's happening, it's in like all the candles are put out uh, there's so much darkness uh, every this is a sad wedding like solar said this is a sad wedding and you can see the groom is crying the bride is looking at him with sympathy and almost tears in her eyes like she wants to console him uh, there's everything is fill, filled with sadness and the culprit of <laughs> the person, uh, the reason behind that uh, sadness uh, is going to the heart tree. Uh, it's uh, maybe like he feels 
feels uh, that he what he has done is wrong and that's why he wants to kill himself but uh, alison comes and stops him and uh, it's kind of uh, the contrast and uh, the rats eating in the background a uh, kind of like uh, you know vermins uh, eating away their whatever is happening like they are taking away their happiness bit by bit and like we discussed in our one of our earlier episodes the rats uh, a lot of people say that it's laris walking into the rats <laughs> and the reason behind viserys's uh, illness it has something to do with the rats and it was really uh, sick that uh, we get to see the rats uh, eating uh, uh, and uh, feeding on joffrey lawnmouth's uh, blood they didn't even clean the blood uh, they, which means there was a person killed uh, his blood was still on the floor while they were getting married <laughs> so yeah i think they just cleared the hall so everyone get the fuck out okay get yeah. the septum yeah uh, that's it party's over party's over like i could <laughs> see rhaenyra and um and um lanor leaving with everybody and and king viserys going oh no no where you think you going <laughs> no, y'all y'all get me a priest in here right now <laughs> i need to no, put it, this to bed you know <laughs> in, in the books there's a seven day attorney you know because it's a royal mm-hmm. wedding so they're celebrating it with all the pomp and circumstance and mm. it isn't until I think the seventh day at attorney that um, Christian Cole not only goes after Harwin Strong and breaks his collarbone, uh, he goes after Joffrey Lawnmouth as well. He goes after both of them in in that segment in the books. So, so Christian Salt. <laughs> yeah, Christian's yeah, not hot blooded Dornishman, man. Yep. <laughs> Ooh, he's Dornish. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> And I really uh, like the sandwich uh, reference uh, that uh, car, uh, that Solar made. Uh, that uh, the high tower sandwich. Uh, it shows. Uh, it's kind of like a foreboding, foreboding of what's to come. Once Rhaenyra leaves, uh, Viserys will be left surrounded by the high, high towers, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe the rats is just showing what will happen to Viserys. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that uh, that little high tower or that little Viserys sandwich with the high tower bread, um, <laughs> you know, that actually struck me when I was looking over the scene. I'm like, oh my god, he's surrounded, he's being isolated, ah! But one of my favorite writers does say that uh, being king is a job for life, but not for long. <laughs> and the Game of Thrones board game shows that being the king is the sucker's bet. <laughs> So, yeah, but that's where we are with the Raven's Eye. So let me throw this right back to you, Constance. Thank you. And now for our final segment, we have Fans of the Dragon, where Uzma and I will discuss polls, trivia, and any questions that may come from you, our listeners. Um, Usually we start off with the trivia. So uh, we're going to kick this off with what is the most unappetizing food in all of Westeros in House (laughs) of the Dragon? We just said it. (laughs) So just rewind a couple minutes and you'll have the answer to this week's trivia question. Uh, <laughs> but um, Uzma, what polls do you have for us this week? Okay, so the poll for this week is, why was Rhaenys against Rhaenyra's marriage with Lenor? Uh, 
I mean, which was which thought was the priority in her mind? I should have added that, but I forgot to add that. <laughs> uh, so the options were: she did not want to, uh, uh, she did not want the crown anymore. She was she was concerned for her son's safety. She was content with another having another woman on the Iron Throne, or all of them. And uh, I can't read the name. Symphonic. Onisha, someone added another option on Facebook because she knew uh, his true nature. Uh, so these were the options, and the winner of this uh, poll is she was concerned for her son's safety with 69% on Facebook, and nice. on Twitter, <laughs> and on Twitter with 100% votes, she was concerned for her son's safety, and uh, on YouTube. It was with fifty percent votes, all of them. So, what are you uh, you guys thought? Uh, what was the primary concern in her mind? Why she was against uh, Rhaenyra's marriage with Lenor? Uh, we'll start with you, Constance. I'm gonna agree with the audience in this case and say that it's because she was concerned for his safety. It puts uh, a young gay man into hot spotlight. You know, if he had married yeah. somebody that was under the radar, there wouldn't be as much scrutiny to him and his activities or, you know, any kind of children that may be his quote unquote. Mm -hmm. um, so I think she was just more concerned with his safety and keeping him in a less politically hotbed of a marriage. Uh, Solar? What about you, Solar? Um, I want to say all of it. But the concern for the safety is the prime thing. And the other answers to me are more of why she would be concerned. You know, the knowing of his true nature and the points that Constance brought out. There's also, excuse me, she understood the nature of the high towers. Everyone did. So putting Except her Paris. son within um, their crosshairs away from where they were powerful specifically being driftmark um mm. yeah that is that's a dangerous move and i think that she saw that and given how everything turned out by the end of season one i i would say that she was right <laughs> i was of the opinion that uh, she had made peace with it and she was uh, she didn't want the crown anymore uh, and only Corliss was after it but uh, you guys convinced me that uh, might not have been the case <laughs> so I'm um, changing my answer to uh, concern for her son's safety <laughs> so that was all for fans of the dragon segment alright we're going to close with our eulogy like we usually do uh, and today, mm -hmm. we open our eulogy with a tribute to all those small folk that were killed when Rainies bust through the floor of the dragon pit like the Kool-Aid man. Oh, Somebody yeah. Somebody had to. <laughs> hundreds, if not thousands of people perished because the high towers were stupid enough to leave a dragon in the dragon pit below. So, RIP, all, all you unnamed innocent victims. Uh, but we're going to move to a key figure in Rhaenys' life, one that she actually felt sorry about when they died, and that would be her daughter, Lena. Lena was the first child born to Corlys Velaryon and Rhaenys Targaryen in 92 AC. Lena's claim to the throne was twice proposed to the realm, 
and twice declined. The first was when her grandfather Aemon died and the throne went to his younger brother, her great-uncle Balin. And the second was when the Great Council of 101 AC gave the throne to her mother's cousin Viserys. We first see young Lena at the heir's tourney, where her eyes are shielded against some of the bloodier battles. Uh, she became a dragon rider in 105 AC, claiming Vagar, the largest dragon left alive, one of the few left to actually see the conquest. Uh, this was shortly before Emma Targaryen died and Viserys was looking for a new wife. We see her in the series, escorted by Viserys through the gardens. She's about 12 years old. And, he and this is after her parents have proposed a match between them. She's wearing a very regal dress in blue and silver, which is her house colors, and her gorgeous silver white curls are just, you know, cascading behind her. She's very beautiful and very well put together for such a young child. She tells Viserys that her father advised her to say she would bear him many sons and be a fine wife. And she tells him that her mother said that she wouldn't have to bed him until she was at least 14 years old. Uh, now, when Viserys marries Alicent, Lena in the books doesn't give a shit. She'd rather fly than deal with boys. She's much happier on the back of a dragon than dealing with being a wife and a mother. Uh, she's actually betrothed to the son of the Sea Lord of Bravos, uh, who never is named. He's, there's no name for this guy. He is a wastrel. And for 10 years, Corliss delays the wedding because this guy is such a piece of shit. But he doesn't feel, he doesn't know how to back out of the wedding without shaming himself or without causing dishonor or political issues uh, and then Damon shows up <laughs> solving all their problems in 115 AC by insulting this young man until he feels the need to defend his honor at which point Damon pulls out Dark Sister and kicks his ass <laughs> there you go problem solved the two of them Can I correct that by saying killed him until he was dead <laughs> Yes. Yeah, that's a better way to put it. Yes. He killed him he until there was his ass makes it sound like he ran away. No, he was no, killed to death. Killed. He killed the guy. <laughs> uh, and then Damon and Lena, as the story goes, fell madly in love. Most people think that Damon married her to further his political alliances with, with Corliss. But nonetheless, the two of them married, and knowing that Viserys wouldn't be happy about Damon getting married without his permission, the two of them fly off to Pentos and the Eastern Lands. Now, this is what happened in the book. We don't, and that's the book story. In the TV story, we don't see much of Lena until the wedding feast for Lenor, her brother. Uh, she's wearing a dress very similar to her younger self, except it's much more sexy with the exposed collarbone, which is what we know as sexy as Westerosi. It's like the Westerosi version of showing cleavage. Uh, she catches the eye of Damon at this wedding feast and they start dancing and flirting when he's not busy flirting with Rhaenyra. Uh, and when we see the two of them again, it's 10 years later and they've got two young daughters, Rhaena and Bela, and they've been living in Pentos since Lena discovered she was pregnant. Now, in the books, she actually flies back to Driftmark when the girls are about a year and a half old. Uh, she she takes, Damon flies the dragons, Lena takes a boat because she's not about to bring her babies on the dragons. Smart move, probably. It's a long flight. Um, but what happens is in the series, in about 120, she's pregnant again. They're living in Pentos. She wants to go back to Driftmark so their daughters can actually see their homeland and not remain indebted to the Pentashi. Damon feels differently. He'd rather stay there and be out of the game of politics and study his dragon lore. 
uh, when the birth comes, it's very difficult and she's unable to bring out the child and the pain is unbearable. She crawls her way to Vagar and orders him to burn her alive to end it all. Now in the books, uh, for a day and a night of labor, she gives birth to a twisted and malformed son who dies within an hour of birth. With all her strength gone from her labor and the grief, childbed fever sets in. Neither Driftmark's maester nor Rhaenyra's maester can heal her. After three days of sickness, she attempted to reach Vagar to fly one more time, but collapses on the tower steps where she passes away. Damon carries her back to bed, where he sat vigil over Lena's body together with Rhaenyra. So we mourn the loss of such a free-spirited woman who died tragically in the woman's battle that is the childbed. All men must die. And with that, that is our show. Uh, so just be sure that you uh, follow us on Facebook at A-W-P-O-I-A-F, A Watch Party of Ice and Fire, and at Twitter at at Ice and Fire Party. If you're still on Twitter, uh, the, the wreck that that is these days. <laughs> uh, and you can also email us at watchpartyoficeandfire at gmail.com. If you're watching on YouTube, please feel free to leave some comments below. A massive thank you to Azora High, Jordan Reynolds, for editing and putting the episode together. Uh, the night is dark and full of terror, and the episode is loaded and filled with mistakes. Uh, <laughs> check out our friends at Watch Party Lord of the Rings for all the discussion you may need there. We also have our pals at Watch Party Wheel of Time that are on break, but there's plenty of back episodes if you're into Wheel of Time. And this has been a production of the Watch Party Network. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. We are your hosts, Solar. Yes, the show was long and full of errors. Uzma. <laughs> Velar Morgulis. And myself, Constance. Have a great evening and thank you folks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>